This is Dr. Katherine Meeks from the Absalom Jones Center for Racial Healing. And today we have the wonderful opportunity to have you hear my conversation with the Reverend Canon Nan Pete, who used to be in Atlanta some years back and is back now today being with us for the launching of the Barbara Harris Justice Project. Welcome, Reverend Pete. Thank you. And Glad I want to be here. It's it's how long has it been since you've been in Atlanta? Twenty five years since I served here. Oh I was goodness. here from nineteen eighty nine to nineteen ninety four. And would you tell our audience what you did when you were here? I was on the bishop's staff as his canon to the ordinary, and I had primary responsibility for the ordination process and working with congregations and transitions as they search for new rectors. And that was Bishop Frank Allen, yes. who, who we lost recently. Yes. So, so could you tell us a little bit about your journey as a priest? I don't, I, I don't know what you did before, if you were always a priest or if you did some other... No, women couldn't be priests. I couldn't even be an acolyte when I was growing up. But the first piece of mail I ever remember receiving when I was probably nine years old, was a letter from my church inviting me to come to my church for Sunday school. And it was St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Chicago, and I told my mother that I wanted to go. And my uncle, who was also my godfather and was senior warden at the parish, picked me and my sister and my cousin up and took me to church. And it was the place where I truly knew I was a beloved child of God. And so I've always been active in the church. Ordination wasn't even a possibility. Right. And uh, eventually I moved to Los Angeles and uh, found another church. I read an article about this parish had closed its door as a protest to the Vietnam War. And that next Sunday I showed up there <laughs> and was very active in the parish and my goal in life at that time was to get a master's degree and work for as a management consultant with one of the big accounting firms. And I achieved that goal and got a position working at Cooper's and Librand. And shortly after I got that position, I was in church one Sunday, and I heard God saying, you should be there up there in the pulpit. And I had to say, not me, <laughs> you know, that's not my calling I want. And he said, just pray about it. And as it turned out, and I had been working for the ordination of women prior to that, and this was in 1979. And uh, then I went to seminary and went through the process and uh, got and, ordained. And where did you go to seminary? I started because my kids were in college, that I started at a part-time diocesan program in Los Angeles, in the Diocese of Los Angeles, and then two years full-time at General Theological Seminary in New York City. And after uh, becoming a priest, you how, how was it finding churches? Was that, was that complicated? or It was not as complicated as I realize now that it was. I got a job as a curate in a parish in Los Angeles when the rector told me that when the bishop was meeting with the clergy and saying I was coming out, saying no one would want to hire me. And he said, I wanted to hire you, so he hired me as a curate. And about six months later, 
I got a letter from a parish in Indianapolis asking me to consider becoming their rector. Hmm. And I was appalled. I hadn't been ordained, but, you know, less than a year. Mm-hmm. And I sent the information in, and it was in Indianapolis, and I was really surprised. And a friend said, well, go for the interview. You have nothing. You know, fill out the mm-hmm. form. And I went, and when I walked into the church, when I went for the interview, I felt I was home because it was a very Anglo-Catholic church and the incense was in the walls, and it reminded me of my home church. I felt I was back at St. Thomas, and they called me, and I said yes. Oh, well. <laughs> Unbelievable. And you did you come from Indianapolis to Atlanta? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and and then you went from Atlanta to I went to work at Trinity Church in New York City on Wall Street as their associate for pastoral care and their outreach mm-hmm. and justice ministries. Mm-hmm. So you how how many years have you been as did you spend as a as a priest and and then working in the bishop's office and then whatever other Church church jobs, I guess I should say. Since 1984, so it's been 35 years I've been in. So you've seen mm-hmm. a lot, and you've learned mm-hmm. a lot. And yes. can you can you highlight some of the things that stand out the most to you over those years? The number, not only just the number of women, but the number of women of color who become ordained and not only bishops, but on bishop staff, have been rectors of large parishes, have done... The opportunities are much wider than they were when I was uh, coming up and was first ordained. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were possibly... Even bishops. I mean, the number of women bishops. We had a woman presiding bishop, you know, yeah. that yeah. was very surprising, you know, but uh, yes, it's been a lot of change. And do you think that having uh, that large uh, influx of women into the church has made any kind of significant difference in the way the church is going forward? I think so. I think we bring a broader understanding of what it means to be part of the beloved community, mm-hmm. about knowing that you're beloved by God. And so we can share that out in the world. I also think it's the other side of that is some people are threatened by it. Mm-hmm. You know, the patriarchy is alive and well, mm-hmm. and we don't always acknowledge it and see it, but, you know, it becomes problematic. But I think we're, it's rapidly changing. And how do you, how, as you think about that, because I think that's so true, but how, how can we address that more, even like in the 21st century? We aren't good at naming <laughs> right. truthfully things that are going on, so I think sometimes we need to name it and then claim it and then explain it in a way. Mm-hmm. Um not to get political, but for me, the phrase, make America great again, mm-hmm. when was it greater than it is now? Mm-hmm. You know, was it greater 
during times of slavery? Was it greater during times of Jim Crow? Was it greater, you know, in the mm-hmm. 60s? When was it greater? What are people talking about? Mm-hmm. And see, we don't, those questions aren't being answered in the same way in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that we're called to do? When was, you know, we talk about the great days of the church. Well, yeah, what when, made what, them great? When was that? Yeah. 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 You know, so I think we need to not be afraid to name it, but not mm-hmm. to discredit it, but to be open about what happens and then how can we be transformative as we're called to be. Mm-hmm. I think we get into using a lot of code language, like make America great again mm-hmm. is code for make America white again. Yes. And and then when we sometimes when we're saying, you know, the good old days, well, good old days for whom? Exactly. And as and, and as somebody thinking about a time when whatever they thought was the way things should be, they felt like that was happening more mm-hmm. then than now. So and and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're trying to be inclusive. And so I and I think there's a great hope always when women get in power that there'll be a different kind of use of power. And then people get disappointed because mm-hmm. women don't seem in in a large generalized way don't seem to know how to redefine power in a way that makes it not be what it's been in the past so i don't know and they what, buy into the old model right of what they've seen you know right. and we have to part of naming it and claiming it is say there's a new way to be right Right. You know, and I, I think we're seeing it. I think we're seeing it in the church. I think that's one of the reasons why we've had so many women who've been elected bishop, because the ones who've been elected bishop are not didn't come out of that old model. Right. You know, now we don't know if once they get bishop, they buy into the old model, but at least they're going in with a new model and a new way of doing and being. And do you do you think that some of that? not being able to come up with a new way has to do with not being, there's not enough um, affirming support from like the, even the general population mm-hmm. in the church so that you sort of got, you're in this system and you somehow figure you got to survive in this system because you don't, that's the only way to go. But if, if people, I wonder if women felt like there were more uh there was more support for them, maybe just from parishioners or from other women. I, I don't think we've learned good enough lessons about how to support each other. And if you felt like you had more support from other places, you wouldn't be so bound by the system. True. And, and so, you know, wonder how you see that. And But sometimes we don't always realize we're bound by the system. Yeah. It takes an outside voice or an outside to say, have you thought about this? Do you realize what you're saying or what you're doing mm-hmm. or the implications of the decisions you're making? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's for anyone in leadership, not only in the church, but throughout the world. We are, don't hold people accountable mm-hmm. or even raise a question for them to think about another way of doing or another way of being, mm-hmm. but to say, what is the impact of that decision, or what is the impact of what I'm saying on the other people, on other people? Is that making the world and the church a better place? Yes, and I have such a deep commitment to trying to make sure that I do everything I can to support 
other women, even though, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like, I tell people I have two sons, so I like men just <laughs> fine, but I'm very committed to making sure that women in general and, and women of color in particular get the benefit of whatever gifts of power I have been afforded, because I think that's how power should be used exactly. to help other people become empowered. Exactly. Two years ago, the Episcopal Women's History Project held a conference for women of color, mm-hmm. you know, to talk about their experiences. And we had Native women, we had Latinos, we had African Americans, you know, a variety of women of color, their experiences in the church mm-hmm. and in leadership or lack thereof, and how they were transformative in their own communities. Could you say a little more about that that entity, the uh, Women's History? The Episcopal Women's the, History Project, which yeah. is an organization of the church that was started to uh, begin to record and document the w- history of women in the church even long before it's been existence just since 1980, but they went back and got histories of women who'd been active in the founding of the ECW and, mm-hmm. you know, the United Thank Offering. And in 1988, they wrote a book on the stories of hmm. women, the first women who ordained. I'm one of the people who was in that book, but mm-hmm. they wanted to document the stories. And a friend of ours, Fran Toy, who's a Chinese-American woman priest, is on the cover of the book. You oh, know, So they've been very uh, intentional in recording the history of women in the church. And and that would that's valuable for everybody, but it's particularly valuable for young women Yes. I think, who don't mm-hmm. have a sense about what might be possible because they don't know what other women have done before them. Exactly, which is makes the Barbara C. Harris Justice Center so important. Yes. Because here's a living, breathing person who has lived the history. That's you know, right. And can be a model. Absolutely. Well... I know that you know there's there's a lot that you've learned, but if you had to drill it all down to kind of a core message, what how would you sum up maybe what the core messages have been to you over this journey? One has to do with your faith. I mean, faith in God that God has your best intentions at heart, and also be true to yourself. Um, Nothing's going to be handed to you. You have to really want it. And whatever you want, God will give you the resources. You just need to exercise them and take advantage of those opportunities to see where you want to go, what you want to do. And it takes courage. Exactly. The persistent woman. We have a lot of women who've been persistent, not just from the judge in the gospel, but mm-hmm. throughout history, right. you know, to know the stories, to say, if they can do it, I can do it. Yes. And if I can do it, then someone in the future generations will be able to do it. And that's why it's so important for us to tell the stories, tell the yes. stories of mm-hmm. people like you, tell the stories of people like Bishop Barbara and and the people who lived even long ago. We need to be... Uh, 
telling those stories more and more to ourselves, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And I think we've sort of gotten away from some of that. And I really believe that's a, a, a fact that we, that's been detrimental to mm-hmm. us. What's interesting, we think about we've come a long way in the church. In 1988, I was invited to speak at the Lambeth Conference in England, mm-hmm. bishops, and I was the first time they'd had an ordained woman speak. And now, next week, they're getting ready to ordain an African um, black woman bishop in England, and she's going to be seated at Canterbury Cathedral. When, in 1988, the Bishop of London didn't think women should be priests, period. Oh. You know, so yeah. we've come a yeah. long way. Yes, and it's and it reaffirms the hope and faith that we have exactly. when we pay attention to where mm-hmm. we were and where we are, and it gives us a sense of what's possible. And, and with God, things are so much bigger than we could ever imagine Absolutely. in terms of possibilities. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Reverend Pete, for spending oh, this time and you. for being here with us. And I look forward to more times to talk to you in the future. Thank you for the invitation. You're welcome. Thank you.